Hi everyone, and thanks for joining us on the latest episode of the C-Suite Podcast. I'm Romy Wilson, and in this episode, we've partnered with Mental Health Innovations to dive into the subject of mental health in the workplace. In the past, businesses mainly focused on keeping their employees physically safe. However, today, mental health has become an equally significant priority. Mental Health Innovations was established in 2017 with a clear mission to make a positive impact on the mental health of people across the UK through the use of their technology and digital platforms. Today, we're joined by their CEO, Victoria Hornby, along with Mark Adamoulos from the Football Association and Becky Schuler from EDF Energy. Welcome, everyone. Victoria, I'd love to come to you first to get an overview of Mental Health Innovations and some of the services you provide. So um, as you said, Mental Health Innovations was set up in 2017 and we were essentially a kind of legacy from the Heads Together programme, which was run by the Royal Foundation to get people talking about their mental health. But we wanted to be able to provide and to use really to leverage the opportunities of technology to reach more people. So in May 2018, we started a pilot phase for uh, Shout, which is a 24-7 text-based mental health support service. And Shout is powered by volunteers. Um, So we have two and a half thousand volunteers around the country who are then supported by our clinical team. And they all do their training online and they also volunteer online. So our technology enables everyone to be remote and at home. So everyone's at home on a laptop. And we now support between 1,500 and 2,000 people a day. So we've done just under 2 million conversations with people about their mental health since 2018. And then alongside that, I think we realised quite early on that the training that our volunteers got was really helpful for them in their day-to-day lives. And many of them told us that learning about how to have a good conversation and how to talk about mental health had been just as helpful in their day-to-day lives as it had been supporting our texters on the platform. And so we decided to, you know, to say, well, not everyone wants to volunteer for us. It's quite a challenging thing to do. But actually, our training is great for supporting people in their everyday life. So we have a a kind of light version of the training. And we provide that to businesses, to other charities and to universities, that kind of thing. So we have a kind of light version of the training, which really helps people to start a conversation about mental health. And that's often the most important thing. And then on top of that, we started to, if you like, white label our service. So to provide our own shout service, but to businesses, universities, local authorities, that kind of thing, to specifically support their staff. And that has been really successful and quite a game changer for us in the sense that we've been able to reach a lot more people and also provide that really crucial out-of-hours support and then provide information back. So because our service is a text-based service, we we get a lot of anonymized data on what people are contacting us about, what's been helpful, what's been useful, and how best to support and in in the workplace particularly you know what else can you be doing to support your team in the workplace given that you know much more about their mental health it sounds like really really fantastic work that you're doing we've also got two of the partners you work with here today and you help them both in quite different ways it would be good to start with you becky to just find out about how mental health innovations has been helping edf Yeah, sure. So we recently introduced the text message support service with Mental Health Innovations. 
we have our own keywords that our employees use to text to 85258 instead of the word shout. So that means that they'll text the service, they get an automatic message response initially, acknowledging their message, they ask what their reason is for, for texting today, and then it's assigned to a volunteer. And that volunteer will go from bringing them from in an acute situation to a moment of calm and give them some options. So that helps us because we can link in with what our support services are at EDF. So whether it's our employee assistance programme or whether it's our occupational health and give access details to those services. It's reassuring for us because those conversations, one, they're happening with a human person and they're monitored by a clinician. So if at any point the volunteer needs additional support, the clinician can step in or they can take over and that can then lead to that being handed to the Met Police if they can't de-escalate the situation. Are there any members of staff this is more applicable to? EDF is a large organisation. You know, we have employees working within metering or our power stations or in call centres. And a large part of our business is around construction. So, and we know that there's high suicide rates in that industry, which obviously is a real concern. And we know that a large percentage of our sickness is related to mental health. So for us, this service is really reassuring. Thanks, Becky. So if I could turn to you now, Mark, and just get a bit of an overview of how MHI has been working with the FA to initiate corporate training on mental health throughout the company. Thanks, Romy. Yeah. We engage MHI to support our managers in in having conversations about mental health. The training we've rolled out together has been called Navigating Difficult Conversations. I think the workforce in general, all sectors, has probably faced more changes and challenges in the last three years than probably three years combined in living memory. And actually, managers are probably being asked to do things now that maybe weren't a requirement previously. So I think it's fundamental that they have the skill sets and the support they need to be able to to support their teams and not to sort of make an assumption that, oh, well, it's fine. Well, managers have been managers for a while. Actually, it's grown and evolved in a different way. And I think managers are, are supporting people in different ways now in the last sort of three years. So we engage MHI to help support that population within the business. It would be great to get an idea of what sort of things are usually covered in these sessions. And has there been any feedback since employees have started taking part? Yeah, so I'll answer the second part of it and then the the first part of it. So a lot of the feedback's been really encouraging. There's one thing to have technical sort of knowledge and expertise of how to navigate conversation, how to, you know, things around communication and stuff like that. But also, I think there's a ripple effect around how confident people feel. In having those conversations. And I think there's a really important piece here around actually team members feeling confident that, you know what, I can go to my boss, my line manager, and I'm confident that they will provide me with appropriate support. Because I don't know about you folks, I've had line managers in the past that I've been tremendously comfortable having difficult conversations with or opening up about stuff. And I've also had line managers in the past that I haven't through no fault of anyone's, but it's got to be part of a, of a bigger piece of the um, bigger jigsaw. What the training entails is some discussions around mental health in general, how line managers can feel more comfortable having those conversations. It probably demonstrates that we've still got quite a way to go as society in the mental health postcode. We do a lot of other work in-house. We've got a brilliant mental health ambassadors program as well, which which really complements what we do with MHI. But it's about 
giving people the right sort of skills to feel confident to succeed. And whether that's having conversations, being more empathetic, knowing how to deal with people remotely, that's something that I think line managers pre-2020, they'd see people every day in the office, they'd have a bit of a finger on the pulse of what's happening. It's probably not as easy to do if someone's at home two or three days a week or if your diaries don't align or, or whatever. So I think the challenges have been quite real and through MHI's support, we've been able to give people the right tools to feel confident and capable. I think that's a really interesting point on remote working because I think it's so topical at the moment whether everyone should be back in the offices or if hybrid working should be implemented across the board. Becky, turning back to you, can you tell us about how EDF is planning on measuring the success of the text message support service? Yeah, sure. It's really difficult because we want the service to be used at the same time as not really wanting anyone to need the service. So it's a tricky one, but we'll be using the information and the monthly data we get off the back of mental health innovations to add to our wellbeing data work stream. So that includes everything from our occupational health referrals to our sickness stats. And it's completely confidential, but it will give us insights into, you know, how much the service is being used, the type of issues that employees are texting about, and whether any of those conversations ended in crisis. So we know that those supporting the conversations from mental health innovations are able to escalate. If they, if they can't de-escalate the conversation, it can be referred to the Met Police. So that's what it means about if, it, if it's in crisis. We know that that's really reassuring for us. The data work stream that I referred to that we'll be inputting this information into is one of our channels that comes out of our health and wellbeing leadership team. So that's led by our chief medical officer who leads our in-house occupational health team. And that was set up back in 2021. So for a few reasons, really, our CMO, our, our chief medical officer is passionate about mental health. We knew the impact of COVID was having on our employees. And sadly, we lost a few EDF colleagues to, to suicide. So we're very much taking a health like safety approach, really. And focusing on well-being so all of that will help us do that with the data that we'll get off the back. Victoria I'd be keen to get your insights on what we've just been discussing and from your side of things how effective have both initiatives been? Sure I mean I think people worry about having conversations about someone's mental health because it's not something and particularly as Brits it's really something we don't really talk about and you know you say to someone how are you feeling what you really want them to say is I'm feeling fine you don't really want to open up a bigger conversation because you don't quite know what you do about it so a lot of our training is actually about helping people to understand that asking questions, asking people how they feel, being able to say, you seem like things are a bit different. I'm interested to know why that would be. Those sorts of things doesn't like open a floodgate of terrifying conversations that actually giving people permission to to speak about how they're feeling is, is much easier than it feels. And we try and give some simple tips like don't use the word why. If someone's feeling vulnerable, using why in a sentence can actually make them feel like they're, they're not doing a good job. We encourage people to use bigger, what we call bigger feeling words. So, you know, you can say tired or you can say exhausted. Actually, if you say exhausted, people feel 
often more able to talk about how they're feeling rather than if you just say, oh, you must be a bit tired or you must be a bit sad. So we give people permission, I suppose, to have a strong feeling emotional conversation with someone because that's probably the best way of helping them to understand what they're going through. But I suppose also just on the, you know, in terms of what we do on the service, text is really good for people who are feeling vulnerable. And that's partly because it's silent. So you don't really have to worry about being overheard. And that is a big worry for people, you know, calling a helpline where you think actually someone might walk in or hear me having this conversation. I think also people who are struggling with their mental health often feel a lot of shame. And so text, again, is is really good for that. And we often get people who will tell us things that they've never been able to say before. So about 40% of of people that used our service say they've never really been able to have this conversation before. And so that sort of permission, whether it's speaking or whether it's on text, to say what you're really feeling is important for someone. And then to be able to respond to that in a really, in an open way. And one of the things that we really try and help people to understand is that your job in these conversations is not to fix someone. It is to give them an opportunity to say how they're feeling, because actually, if they can say honestly how they're feeling, if they are feeling very vulnerable, then we can encourage them to get help and support. And it's much better for people to to open up about how they're feeling rather than for you as the person talking to them to come up with solutions of how they could feel differently or dismiss them. I'm sure it'll feel better tomorrow is really unhelpful for someone who's feeling distressed. I really hear that. I think it's really important to help people in the way that they feel comfortable if we just circle back to the more general conversation of mental health and well-being in the workplace I think it would be good to look at how we can create an environment in workplaces that are not only safe but also encourage employees to feel like they can come forward about their mental health concerns so I think it would be great to get everyone's thoughts on this but Victoria let's just come back to you first. I think it is about having a I suppose a a kind of culture around listening. Most people who use our service just say thank you for listening. So having a kind of culture about listening and that does require some some kind of training and support and also having a culture that recognizes that you know life is tough and it is just normal you know if you think about your lifetime leaving school or leaving university or first time you get dumped by your boyfriend or all of those things, having a baby, losing someone close to you. These are all things that we are experiencing, everyone is experiencing every day. And I think we've had a culture of keeping all those things out of our workplace. And actually partly because over the last few years and and all the challenges that people have faced, enabling those to be in the workplace and to say, actually, you know, today is a difficult day. And for that to be fine. I think that's what's important is that ability to just say how you're feeling and and to feel like you'll be listened to. And Mark, what are your thoughts on taking a more compassionate and human approach to well-being in the workplace? Yeah, I think it's fundamental. I agree with what Victoria's just just mentioned. I sort of feel the pandemic period was a bit of a leveller in many ways. It didn't matter if you were an, an MD or a team leader or anywhere in between. You could only leave the house once a day to walk your dog. You couldn't go and see ill or elderly relatives. You couldn't do all sorts of things. And I think we, we sort of forget that sometimes. It made a difference in the way people experience life because it leveled the playing field. It didn't matter how much money you had in the bank or what car you drove or what job you had. We were all restricted in a particular way and faced challenges on that front. So I do think overall 
even though I'll always say that human beings have a tremendously short memory, I do think overall we are a bit more compassionate now by default. And it's become a little bit more normal, and I hate that word, to be able to, to share a bit more in the workplace. I do think fundamentally the people that you have in the building are tremendously important. The culture, the level of, of empathy and the level of how inclusive and, and empathetic and compassionate a culture is, is dependent on the people. And I think sometimes we forget as, as human beings, just a generic point, I think about how the working world is. We'll often talk about the culture, but sometimes we forget how much skin in the game we have with the culture and how important it is that we lead by example and demonstrate the behaviours and the ethos and the values that we would like to see from our workplace on a daily basis. Because if we don't do it, it's hard to ask other people to do it. Completely agree. And Becky, I'd love to hear your opinion on this. Yes, I think in your question, you used the word human, I think that was mentioned. And I think that's really important. So we're hearing more and more the term psychological safety. And I think we want to promote that in a human way and, and what that means and the way it connects people and highlights our values, which is that we look out for each other. So we want our leaders to be kind, compassionate and curious. And I think that comes back to Victoria's point about it's a skill, isn't it? Being able to have those conversations. And it's definitely some people are better than that than others, but it's something you can learn from. And I think listening is a massive key. And I think people worry about entering into those conversations, worried they don't know how they can support that person. But for us, whether it's in our high level messages or our training on leadership, we want to integrate well-being into our values and not make it a standalone subject. We want to very much approach it in how we changed our culture around zero harm. And we had a big success integrating that into the way we do things. If I could add something onto the back of that, Becky, I think a misconception that I think organisations have just generically is that well-being sits within the people team or the HR team. Oh, yeah, you know, HR will deal with that. They'll drive that. Well, actually, it's fundamental, isn't it, to be able to drive across the company culture that everyone needs to pull their weight and support it. And that's something that I've noticed in previous roles as well. But yeah, absolutely. Human is the way forward. And I think also that sort of just normalising. It's normal. No one can be expected. And I think you're absolutely right, Mark, about the changes and the levelling around the pandemic. You can't be expected to show up to work five days a week, 52 weeks a year, and not have a bad day. And actually, it's fine. It's fine to have a bad day. And it's fine to feel as though actually you could do with a little bit of help and support because that bad day has turned into a few bad days and you're not quite sure how to get out of it. And I think it is that sort of normalising of that, that we just don't pretend anymore that the person who comes to work every day is exactly the same day in, day out, year after year, and nothing changes and what's happening in there home life or emotional life or whatever it is doesn't have a place in the workplace it does because it's what makes us good at our jobs passion and enthusiasm and energy and all those sorts of things are what makes us good at our jobs they're also as humans what make us have bad days there's an acceptance piece there victoria isn't there but i also feel there's like a self-acceptance piece of do you know what i'm having a bad day or a bad week and actually that's okay if i have got a network around me or if i can voice it to my line manager or, or whatever that's okay but sometimes I do feel as human beings we do feel a sense of shame and guilt and embarrassment and all of these sort of things so I guess it's one thing conditioning the environment and supporting line managers and leaders and, and shaping the culture but I do think the self-acceptance piece is tremendously important 
which is probably for some people the hardest part of it. It's not shaping the environment. It's actually just being okay with themselves and going, you know what, today's a bit of a write-off, but that's okay. I didn't try and make it a write-off. It just happens to be that it's not a great day and being able to move on and, and voice that. Yeah, it's a really interesting one we, where we've done partnerships with some corporate partners. We do see quite a lot of, I guess, what people would call presenteeism. So you're there, but you're not really there. You're at your desk and, you know, you might be texting us because you've gone through a relationship breakup or you're worried about money or whatever it might be. So you're at your desk, but you're not really at your desk. And I think that sort of culture where you you show up and the important thing is sitting in your chair or sitting on a Zoom screen, not how you're feeling or how you feel able to do your job. And I think, again, that normalising those conversations and making it easy to say today is not the day for me to be taking on this big challenge because I've got some stuff happening at home. I'm hoping to sort it, but I just really wanted you to know. As a final thought, it would be good to hear about how both the FA and EDF plan to continue working with MHI and if there's anything else in the pipeline. Mark, we'll come to you first. So yeah, so we've we've got two bits of training planned with MHI for this calendar year. The training we did last year was, like I said, the feedback was was great. I think it was great on a sort of technical level, but also on a from a confidence point of view and a comfort point of view of having those conversations, which is, I know that's what the training's there to do, but it was really validating and, and reassuring to get that feedback. It's pretty much more of the same, but to scale. So being able to support more people within our business with the skill sets and the expertise that MHI provide and that's what we're doing in 2023. Yeah, and for us, I mean, we have quite a full calendar of kind of well-being topics that we promote throughout the year. So whether that's something structured around awareness days um, and mental health, and and then we kind of allow space for reactive subjects so we can refer to things like Russia and Ukraine and the impact of those uncertain times have on our employees. And throughout all of those topics, we use those to, one, promote conversation and two, it's a chance to promote all of our support options. So all of those will involve talking about 85258, making sure that our employees know that, embedding that within all of our ways of communication. And then longer term, I think we need to start identifying kind of the gaps where we can improve our awareness or our skills to managers and again, being led by our data and what that's telling us. So obviously we're in very early days of promoting and, and launching the 85258 service. So we know that some employees have already used it, but it would be really good to see how that goes. Victoria, let's come to you to round up the conversation. We've talked so much about all the fantastic things you guys are doing to support people across the UK. Is there anything exciting coming up in the near future that you can tell us about? So we've always known that running the service and working with businesses and doing more of the training would would help us to understand what else we could be developing from a digital tools and products perspective. So we're really interested in building out more digital offers really for people because we know that it reaches a group of population that often struggle to reach out for help. So we want to develop more of those digital services, a lot more exploration of our anonymized data set. So really understanding 
trends in mental health what is the trends unfortunately for young people are really poor so more and more young people are are finding themselves with with mental health problems which are affecting their education their ability to work their confidence their relationships all those sorts of things so we want to do a lot more work we have a partnership with imperial college so we would really want to do a lot more work to understand what can our data tell us about those trends and how can we begin to work against them and thinking about the kind of most cutting edge technology that we can use. So actually, we've just developed a generative AI chatbot, uh, which is trained on our on our data. And we use that to augment our volunteer training so people can practice conversations, use it to, to get better. We think that's a really great use case for AI. Lots of people say to us, oh, are you going to replace your volunteers with chatbots? No, we're not going to do that. But we are going to think about how we can use the best that's out there in technology to be better at what we do, to improve what we do and uh, to develop some new products. That sounds like a good place to end the conversation today. Victoria, Becky and Mark, thank you so much for your time and all the incredible work that you're doing. We always want to hear what you think and if you'd like to contribute to the discussion you can do so on all the usual social channels. The links for these can be found at the top of the website at csweetpodcast.com. You can also catch up with previous shows and follow us for automatic downloads of each episode via your favourite podcast app. And if you've enjoyed the show, please do give us a positive rating or review. Finally, if you'd like to get in touch with us, you can do so via the contact form on the website, or you can find me, Romy Wilson, and the C-Suite podcast on LinkedIn. But for now, thanks for listening and goodbye. <laughs>